Well, good evening, church. Welcome again to our Sunday night teaching time. We're finishing up a series in just a couple of weeks now, Renewed in the Spirit of Your Mind, Knowing How the Life of God Gets Inside. We've been at this for 16 weeks. The title for tonight's teaching, There is Nothing More Refreshing Than Keeping Your Mind Renewed. And I chose that title because it's very easy to you know, when you examine something like this, to think of it as just a job, a requirement, a responsibility. The idea I want to pursue tonight is there, there is a discipline to it, but it leads to delight and refreshing. We're still looking at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Get a Bible. Let's go over these verses together. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." The Christian life is less about just doing the right thing than it is about forming the right habits. And this makes the Christian life both easier than a lot of people think and more difficult than a lot of people think. It's easier because the Holy Spirit comes along inside to change not just the outward actions of my life, but to give me new desires, new affections that, that eventually help me to serve the Lord with, with uh, less premeditation and struggle. He changes the affections of the heart. So you find delight that you may find God's will good, acceptable, and perfect. But this also makes the Christian life harder than some people think because while one good solitary decision is important, it's a lot easier just to make one good solitary decision than it is to change the habits of the entire life, the direction of the life. One positive outward step, however good, however righteous, it's a lot easier than learning day by day by day to walk in the Spirit. But one good outward action, just adjusting the external activities of my life through sheer discipline is never as joy-producing. It's never as soul-satisfying as a renewed mind that finds this is your spiritual worship. God's will is perfect and good and excellent. Find your joy in it. So the call to unconform our lives to the world and the call to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, those are both calls that in, in the text are in the continuous present tense. So, so they keep calling as long as we follow Jesus on this earth. A large part of all that the Holy Spirit tries to do in my heart is, is to keep me hearing God, 
hearing something from God that this world constantly tries to squeeze out. It tries to shape me in its own mold and not hear what God is saying to my heart. God speaks through conscience, through the word, through the body of Christ, the church, through the inner promptings of the spirit. He speaks. We worship a communicating God. His word really is a lamp to our feet in this dark world. And and the Holy Spirit wants me to be a constant listener, a constant hearer. So I want to, in this teaching, just as simply as I can, I want to share the kind of things we need to do to keep our lives being onwardly transformed, continuously transformed, to keep being made new in a world that tries to stifle spiritual life and growth. Point number one, never miss one day spending time alone with Jesus in prayer. Luke 11 is the chapter, the famous chapter where the disciples come to Jesus And they say words that have made their mark in history. They come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. As far as we can see, this is the only time the disciples ask Jesus how to do something. They ask Jesus a lot of questions, but as far as we can see in the New Testament, they never came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to tell parables. They never asked Jesus, teach us how to walk on water. Jesus, show us how you turn water into wine. They never asked any of those questions, but they saw Jesus at prayer. They saw him praying over and over again when they weren't praying. And it's almost as though they knew this was the key to everything else about Jesus. I think if we could crawl into their minds when they ask Jesus this question, if you could sweep around in the dusty corners of their heads, here's what you would find. They saw something in Jesus that they knew they couldn't just copy. You can't copy a prayer life. Prayer doesn't work mechanically like that. It's not a system. They saw a life bubbling up from deep inside their Lord that was authentic spiritual life. It was, remember way, way back, it was organic, not external. There was simply no way they could manufacture it. And so while they weren't brilliant about everything, they could figure this much out. They, they, tied, they tied so much of Jesus' outward life to his praying. If they knew that, they knew what was most important. So I want to come back. Let me come back to this basic and hopelessly old-fashioned question. Probably haven't asked it directly to the church for a long time. How much time do you spend every day in prayer? It took me way too long to come to terms with the truth that that prayer can't be learned just from reading books about prayer. 
There are no seminars, really, that can teach you how to pray. You, you can't just learn prayer. You do it. You have to pray. And that's why, at least most of the time, when Jesus taught his disciples about prayer, he, he came at it less directly. He talked to them about what Father God was like. He would talk to them about the dangers there were to the prayer life. Unforgiveness, greed, sleepiness. Remember in the garden? So in other words, he taught about the things that would inspire prayer. Trust the fatherhood, the love of God. And he talked about things that would hinder prayer. Unforgiveness, greed. But he very rarely, if ever, maybe the closest would be the Lord's Prayer that on that one occasion. But even that, I'm not sure he meant just repeat these magic words. He talked about vain repetition in prayer. Jesus rarely, if ever, just said, Here, here's the technique. Here's how you do this really, really well. And and we need to constantly deal with our own hearts about this. I can, never, I can never distort the Christian life into merely admiring Jesus or even liking Jesus. Not without prayer. It's not even a matter of worshiping Jesus. Listen, would you accept love songs from someone who never wanted to talk to you? That's what worship in the corporate setting is without a prayer life. The only way love for Jesus is authenticated in our lives is by prayer. Jesus loves me. He loves me. You know what he does right now? He's at the right hand of the Father, and the Bible says he makes intercession for me. Jesus prays for me. Does my love for him do the same thing? Point number two, here's another help. I must learn to bring the right questions to my mind to keep it from dodging the most pressing issues of life. I think there's some confusion here at times. Being born again, there's just nothing more important. But when you were saved, converted, born again, whatever term you want to use, you didn't instantly learn a new way of thinking about life. Some people think they did, and they quote verses like 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. There it is, Pastor Don. And, and those words really are a marvelous description of the scope of transformation that Jesus brings. The change Jesus brings in conversion, remember, is comprehensive, not just particular. It leaves no part of the being untouched. So the transformation Christ brings changes every part of your being. The Spirit of God reaches into your past, cleanses you from all sin. He reaches into your present, gradually changing the affections of your heart. The Holy Spirit comes and enters all the relationships of your life. He reshapes them gradually. Your marriage, parenting, the boss at work, the call to love your enemies. 
It's true. It's true. New creation. There's a change in absolutely everything. A comprehensive change. But it's the start of that comprehensive change. Not the completion. Pastor Don, you're splitting hairs. Who cares? Well, I'll tell you who cares. Jesus does. Jesus labored to make his disciples see the difference between starting something and completing it. He really did. Let me show you an example. It's in Luke 14. Luke 14, 27 to 32. This is Jesus. He's the speaker. And here's what he says. Luke 14, 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So notice there's going to be some parabolic teaching following this verse. But notice what the topic is. The topic is taking up our cross, following Jesus as a disciple. This is to Christians. Which of, whoever does not bear his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Discipleship is the topic. What do we need to know about discipleship? Now he's going to teach. 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Here's the issue. Whether he has enough to complete it. It's great to start building a tower. It's good to finish it. 29. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will mock him, saying, this man began to build, started, but was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate? See the planning, the thinking? Deliberate. Whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for peace. So again, notice in 27, Jesus is specifically teaching about taking up our cross, being a disciple. And a big part of being a disciple is not confusing the start of something with the completion of it. For myself, I've come to the conclusion that there is only one way to avoid this fatal mistake, this spiritual amnesia. There's only one way to keep my mind glued to the number one task of my life, and it's this. I need to ask myself the really important questions every day. I learn like you learn, far too slowly. I'm learning to ask myself certain questions near the beginning of each day. If I'm all alone in my office at the church, sometimes I'll actually move my lips and say the words. So not out loud, but not just thoughts. And I'll say something like, why did God give me another day of life and strength? You should ask yourself that. I mean, really ask the words. Make yourself give a clear answer. Because the way you face the rest of the day has a lot to do with asking that question and giving the right answer. See, if your answer is, well, God gave me this day because he just wants me to be deliriously happy and he just wants to give me 
Jabez-sized blessings all day long. That's why God put me here. There's a lot of Christians that think that. And if that's the answer you're giving to the question, why did God give me another day? Then you're going to find personal problems just frustrating and interrupting. Getting in the way of my happiness, my blessings. But if, when you ask the question, why did God give me another day of health and strength? If the answer you give is something like this, God gave me this day to demonstrate to everyone I meet that Christ is my greatest treasure rather than anything in this world. If that's the answer you give, then you'll come to see all the daily irritants and problems as opportunities to show Christ is greater than any of these other things in life. I was uh, reading this past week and was brought to a thoughtful halt. I'm not recommending the book to everybody, but the book is called Abandonment to Divine Providence. And the writer said this. Now let me remind you that the will of God is all that is necessary And what it does not give you is of no use to you at all. My friends, you lack nothing with God's will. Listen to these words. You would be very shamed if you knew what the experiences you call setbacks, upheavals, pointless disturbances, annoyances. You'd be shamed if you knew what those things really are, you would realize that all your complaints about them are nothing but blasphemies, though the thought probably never occurs to you. Notice that last sentence, though the thought never occurs to you. That's kind of haunting. I mean, it, it, it means I can easily grow deaf to and unaware to the spiritual happenings in my own being, that my mind has to be constantly reawakened. So remember, each morning, why did God give me another day of strength and life? What was in his heart? That's just one very simple example. I mean, the kind of questions you can ask are various, and they're helpful. Here are some other questions. Let me just suggest them to you. Why would God allow my enemies to foul up my plans? Why did God not allow me to accomplish all of my own goals today? Did he have something else in mind? What would Jesus have done first today? Why am I always too tired to read my Bible or go to church, but full of energy to play hockey or golf? In view of eternity, how should I arrange my time today? What would my friends say is the greatest love of my life if they followed me around all day today? That's a great one. What could God be teaching me through this situation he has me in? Or this. 
If I allow these feelings that I'm feeling in my heart right now to grow and remain, where will they take me in a year or two? Closer to God or farther away? Meditate. Meditation means mumbling, speaking to oneself. The power of truth is not is not self-sustaining. It has to constantly be reawakened, reestablished. And when you look for this idea, the New Testament is full of teaching on it. Look at 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 13. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent. So he's talking to Christians. Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Strange words. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, by practicing these qualities, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at this verse 12. Therefore, I, that's Peter, I intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the truth you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, as long as I'm alive, he says, to stir you up by way of reminder. Did you see what's being said there? It is not enough. It's not just what you know. It's what you remember that changes your life. Peter's an old man as he writes these words and my goodness, he could, have, he could have written reams of tips on godliness. But he doesn't have time. So he just zeroes in on what he thinks is most important. These Christians, he's writing them. They're being persecuted. They're having a really hard time. The bloom has gone off the rose. Peter talks about their calling, talks about their conversion. And then he says something kind of striking. He says in verse 10, they need to practice these things. If you practice these things, you will never fall. And so I read that and I say to myself, what does that mean? I mean, how do you, how do you practice doctrinal truth? I mean, it's not like a tennis serve. How does a person practice truth? And then Peter tells us, he tells us, 12 and 13, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. I think it right as long as I'm in this body to put you to remember. You practice truth by bringing it back, replaying it. You, you make yourself recall truths and you do it, like I said before, you do it by asking the right questions. You, you take truth off the shelf and you apply it by asking the right questions. Point number three, never stop stretching your mind. Make it struggle. That's the verb I chose. Make it struggle with deeper and deeper truth. Not everyone is at the same level here. I get that. Nor will they ever be. That's fine. But everyone can stretch. Everyone can grow mental muscle. And I think, in fact, the Bible says everyone must. The psalmist, 
he points out a surprising truth by putting two things together that we don't normally think go together. If you want a great verse to stick on your fridge, Psalm 111, verse 2. Psalm 111, verse 2. Here's what it says. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Did you catch it? The psalmist marries delight with study. The ways of God are are too great simply to be glossed over lightly. That's what he says. Uh, I'm sorry, but Christian novels, there's a place for that, relaxing, I get it, but Christian novels will not fuel delight in God. They can give you relaxation, but that's not the same thing. Delight comes from study. Study requires work. So delight in the truths of God comes from studying deeply the truths of God and applying them to your life. I came across this marvelous quote from C.S. Lewis. I love it, making the very same point. Listen to these words. For my own part, I tend to find the doctrinal books often more helpful in devotion than the devotional books. And I rather suspect that the same experience may await others if they try it. I believe that many who find that nothing happens when they sit down or kneel down to a book of devotions would find that the heart sings unbidden while they're working their way through a tough bit of theology. He says, with a pipe in their teeth and a pencil in their hands. That's a great quote, but you'll probably live longer without the pipe. Our modern evangelicalism has fallen for the myth that joy comes from light, easy truth rather than deep, costly truth. You can see it all through the church. The music has to be light and happy and snappy. You got to have a band. Lighting has to be right. Stories have to be quick and snappy. Sermons not too long, breezy with a little humor. Books have to be accessible or we don't read them. Have you noticed how many companies are coming out with these tiny little little books, they're called, about the size of a greeting card? Now, this is very different from the approach of God's word. Listen, Proverbs 2, 1 to 6. My son, see, think of how different this is from theology for dummies. Proverbs 2, 1 to 6. My son, if you receive my words, treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight, Raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver, search for it like hidden treasures. See? Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Then you will find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. 
Why don't we readily find those words applicable? Well, because the joy of a deep study of the things of God, it feels different from the joy of listening to a joke. The joy of meditating, thinking, studying God's word, memorizing it, it's a joy that comes more slowly at first, but with a deeper payload later on. Talk about digging for it like silver. I mean, raking is easier than digging. But with raking, you just get leaves. Digging, you get silver and gold. There's some practical truths. Just do those three things. Don't plan to do them. Just do them. Don't wait till you feel motivated to do them. Just do them. It won't happen if you wait to feel motivated. It's only the devil that's telling you to wait. Pray honestly and intensely every day. Prayer activates the Holy Spirit in your mind. Dialogue with your heart every day. Ask yourself the right questions and study. Study as though your soul depended on it. And even when those things don't feel like joy in themselves, they're the path to joy. And there are no other ways that I know of to keep your mind renewed. Help us, Lord Jesus, with these things. There's a genuineness that we all crave. And so often we think it's just out of reach, but it isn't. And so quicken these three truths from your word to our hearts that we'll discover your will as good and acceptable and perfect. And it'll become the delight of our lives. I ask all these things, Lord, in your precious name. Thank you for hearing us when we pray. Amen. Amen. Don't forget about Wednesday night. We'll be studying together. Love to have you come. Live and in-person children's ministries at the same time, 7 o'clock. God bless you, church. Love one another.